Hi, my name is Isaac, lead pastor at New Hope Foursquare Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our Sunday services are at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Find out more at www.inewhope.org. Okay, we're continuing our series, The Seven Rhythms of the Christian Life. And we are, um, I am, I hope you are, (laughs) excited about this next phase of the Christian church that is unfolding um, in our world. As I mentioned, the world has so much brokenness. There's so little hope, but there's hope that we have, that we carry. And God is not finished. He has not given up on the world. But in order for his love to go out and to bring fruit and hope, it requires his people being formed, his people growing in our spiritual formation so that we can adequately, we can bring about Jesus to the world. So this series is really all about these rhythms that we move into that help us. It's all based out of John 15, where Jesus is talking. He says, I'm the vine, I'm the trunk, you are the branches. Um, The the uh, imagery there is so profound because branches die if they fall off of the tree, but branches can be strong and sustained when they are connected to the trunk, which is Jesus. Those who remain in me and connected to me and I in them will produce much fruit. Jesus says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So these seven rhythms that we have been introducing and explaining and taking time with are very application-oriented because... When we walk out these rhythms, we stay connected to Jesus. And that's not a one-time thing, that's a lifetime thing of staying connected to Jesus. We've been reading this every week. This helps uh, helps us to form an idea of how it is that we are transformed, and we'll explain even more of this this morning as we walk through. Let's read this out loud, ready, go. What we do forms what we love, and what we love forms who we are, and who we are forms cravings for what we do, which forms what we love, which forms who we are, which forms what we crave. And the chart there on the left helps us to understand that. What we do forms what we love, forms who we are, forms what we crave, which then leads us back to the doing. Yeah, we'll explain that. The big idea here is that we are People who, we are creatures that transform through what we do because that forms what we love. Today we'll talk about sacrificial generosity, the fifth of the seven rhythms of the Christian faith. We're gonna talk about how God views money and how money relates to our transformation. Um, We all use money and need money in our world, and the wonderful thing about it is it has great opportunity and power to be a part of our transformation. It's not just auxiliary or ancillary, just out there somewhere, but rather it's right here in front of us. Today, you can participate with your transformation. Money's a part of that. Jesus talks a lot about money. Well, um, in order for us to understand more clearly, I want to talk about what I see and I think what others have observed within our Western conception of Christianity and spiritual formation. We are very much head first. It's been called this. It's been called bobblehead 
formation. <laughs> That's what this is. This is a false idea of how we grow. It is all about the head. It's all about knowledge. It's all about just learning more things. This is very much how our education system is set up. There's a lot of thought of what are people learning, less thought about what people are learning through how they are learning. I'm not criticizing the education system. I'm just saying in our Western context, it's very much head first. The body simply holds the head in this conception. It's just that this is what is important in our bodies. is kind of holding it as this important thing goes along. It's all about concepts, head learning, right thinking. From a scriptural perspective, and at the time of the New Testament being formed, this is a very Gnostic way of thinking. Gnostic was a, was a, was a, um, a perversion of Christianity that was all about just the head. It said what is spiritual and abstract is important. What is happening right here is not important. There's a separation of that. And many of the New Testament writers wrote to confront that. And I think they would confront the same thing in our context today. They would say, wow, you guys know a lot, but show me your good works. Not because we have to prove God loves us, but through our good works, we are formed into becoming like him. So true formation looks like this. <laughs> it is head learning. Yes, that's a part of it, but it is full body. Notice the action that we are stepping. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go march. This is activity. If you're to read the New Testament, you're to see that there's all kinds of verbs in the New Testament. It's all about doing and putting into practice and changing our lives. Paul says to work out our salvation. That's what he says that there is some grit associated with this. We're suggesting the seven rhythms help us to get there. To go beyond this head first thing, we have to dive into some stories of real incarnation, which is all about flesh, struggle, and sweat, and tears, and work, and movement, and moving forward. We don't earn our salvation, but we walk it out. This is important for us because we will not be transformed by just sitting. We will be transformed by getting on the path. If I could moonwalk right now, I totally would. I would just, yeah, there's, there's no hope. <sighs> okay. And so as we approach the topic of money, a story that um, example is this. J.C. Penney. What do you think of when you think of J.C. Penney? Clothes? 40% off? 40% <laughs> off sale? <laughs> yeah. Uh, shirts, shoes, closing stores, yeah, more recently. Amazon's punching bag? <laughs> That's yeah, one of Amazon's punching bags. That's true. Yeah. Well, during the Great Depression, Entrepreneurial businessman J.C. Penney, James Cash Penney, lost everything. By his own account, he owed more than $7 million to his creditors. In today's dollars, that would be $103 million. At age 58, J.C. Penney had gone 
from the heights of success to being flat broke. And he became ill. He became suicidal. But he found himself in a hospital chapel where he heard somebody, where he heard somebody read the words of Jesus. Somebody read these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus goes on, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Over the next 12 hours, J.C. Penney gave his life over to Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord began to become the Lord of his life. He describes in some of his memoirs how he learned to trust Jesus to carry him, to provide for him, to meet his needs. His discipleship continued throughout the rest of his life. And while his business fortunes returned and his transformation was moral, he reflects later that he was spiritually slow to catch up. Listen to what he said years later. This is what he said. He said, I must admit that it was only after I assumed the responsibility of church membership and thus rendering unto God the things that are God's that I realized just how merely being a church member and attending church regularly is not enough. For all men, there must be yet one more thing, giving oneself over to God's purpose. He is widely known for being incredibly generous to humanity, using his money for the good of humanity, but I note what he says here. Only upon assuming responsibility including financially, rendering to God the things that are God's. Only upon assuming responsibility did he realize and begin to live out his purpose, to be about God's purpose. There's something about our money that really guides our hearts. There's something about our resources that has the opportunity to specifically take us into understanding what life is all about. We'll explain it more. As we begin the conversation about sacrificial generosity, I think it's imperative that we see this rightly, that we are not being asked by God to grow in general good works with our money or general good stewardship or to generally not be in debt or to think about giving some of our money away. All those things are fine. But for the Christ follower, for the Christ follower, our financial transformation is formed primarily through our love of God's purposes expressed through his church. That's where it can adequately be formed. In a world that, I mean, anybody would say we should be generous and we should be kind. In a world that tries to express that kingdom principle without King Jesus, We have to be very careful that we allow our kingdom transformation to be rightly placed in a context of Jesus and his church. Hmm. I think J.C. Penney would encourage us this way. He said, today, build a relationship with what God loves most. 
the hope of the world, Jesus Christ expressed through the local church. Well, as we dive in, um, I'd like to give you some more information on how we learn and how we form. We are doing, over the last uh, few weeks, as we talk about these concepts, I, I would say that this is higher level learning. Um, somebody said last week they felt like they went back to AP class. You know? <laughs> and, and the higher level learning, the reason I'm giving it to you is because it is directly tied to the vision that God is laying out for us in New Hope. I think that we have lost our way with spiritual formation. Not just we at New Hope, but just in the West and in general. Christianity is anemic, in part because people haven't been formed. So I'm giving you the inside look and explaining even some of the technical aspects of our philosophy of approaching it so that we can understand why it is that when we invite you into one of the processes that we're constructing, why we are. And so um, we're taking time to do that. We do have a vision of you and I being spiritually transformed. And so... Um, we'll keep going. On the handout you were given in the worship guide, there's a diagram that we'll refer to that I would like to explain. And um, this is based upon some of James K.A. Smith's um, writing. If you're interested in some of the learning, um, he wrote Desiring the Kingdom. That's a great place to start. He also wrote... Um, uh, <laughs> Forgetting the title, Spiritual Formation, You Are What You Love. A lot of these concepts, really good stuff, really helpful stuff. He writes, human persons are not primarily or for the most part thinkers or even believers. Instead, human persons are fundamentally and primordially, this means fundamentally, <laughs> lovers. We are people that are loving all of the time. Now, loving as in we are moving after something that we want, we desire. He describes in some of his writing that we are erotic creatures. Not erotic just as in sexual, but erotic in that we have desires that we are constantly pursuing. We woke up today and there was desires that hit us and it directed our life. So let's look at the, the chart that is on your handout that helps to understand. This is some more of the... Um, the higher level learning that helps us to understand. I, I hope to explain it as we go along. You notice that there's three basic sections, one, two, and then three. The trajectory moves like this, but we'll talk about one at a time to help us understand some of uh, how we are formed as people. First of all, that aim and intention Humans are always moving towards their target and object of desire. We've talked about the word telos here. Telos is your vision for life. What are you moving towards? Every human is moving towards something. We are always moving towards something. We are just always, we're moving towards something. We, we are not static. We're not wondering what life is about. We, we already have a conception and then everything in our life is pointed towards that. That is what he talks about when he refers to the second part, where we are moving towards, the target or object, or the kingdom that we are moving towards. We are chasing either consciously or unconscious visions of the good life. We are in motion, we're moving forward, we are moving towards something. This is the dream or vision of what is being chased. 
So part one and part two says, you are all, every single person is moving towards something that is in their mind, that they have a vision for what the good life is all about. Every person does. And so the question is, if we are always moving towards that vision, how is that vision of the good life, the vision of what life is all about, the vision of what our purpose is, how is that being formed? That's a great question to ask and an imperative question, because if we can change how that's being formed, then we're naturally gonna walk into it. Does that make sense? Once it's in your head, you walk into it. Does that make sense? Okay, well. Ha-ha, this is what the third section is all about, the formation of our target and intention. This is all in your handout, by the way, so you can take this home and study and wrestle with it. First of all, taking one step to the left of the main um, diagram there, talks about our habits. This is, habits maybe isn't even the best word, but this is the driving and shaping force of what our intentions are and the aim we will go, go towards. This is largely unconscious. This is that seed of feeling and impulse that we have to move forward towards something. So the question is, how does that get formed? And what he says is this is formed through communal practices. Now looking at that, the communal practices or liturgy. We talked about that word liturgy a few weeks ago, the regular rhythms that we are part of. Here's how you can think about it. First, visual and effective images that shape our desire. Think billboards and ads. All the time we are being shaped towards what life is all about by all of these visual images. Have you noticed that marketing companies don't send you long things full of text? right? Take the next five minutes and read this. No, they send you an image with just a little bit of stuff because you're drawn into imagery. It, it frames within your mind what life is all about. Secondly, embodied, that means physical, community practices. Think of some, some examples. Singing together that we just did a few minutes ago, that shapes us. Do you notice that we sing songs before we totally believe them? We sang this morning, um, my soul surrendered, my heart abandoned for more of you. <laughs> Probably none of you this week were like, my whole last week was all about surrender and being abandoned for more of you, God. No, but you sang it because it frames what your vision is. That's why we have you sing those songs. We don't sing what we are already true. We sing what we are walking into. We sing in a way that shapes our imaginations for where we're going. Hands over our hearts, Pledge of Allegiance is another communal practice that really forms our loves within our country. Pledge of Allegiance would be another one of those embodied community practices, etc. Communion is a liturgical practice that forms. That's what ultimately will form our heart's desire and then we'll shape the direction of our intention of love towards a better or worse kingdom. So, that's how that works. And the longer I am alive, <laughs> the longer I am a pastor, the more I see this as being absolutely true. Because I've seen a lot of Christians who know a lot of things, but their life is not about the kingdom. It's about other things that have shaped their world. It's about other dreams and desires. It's about other big um, 
visions of what the light, what life is all about. In our culture, it's consumerism, it's capitalism, it's American manifest destiny. Those are dreams that tend to carry us. And what Jesus wants to do is reshape our hearts so that we desire him and what is ultimately effective, his kingdom ruling and reigning. Okay. When it comes to money, we are being misshaped all of the time. We're being given, sold a bill of lies for what life is all about. And I think it's important for us to recognize this because money is a huge stressor in marriages. For those of you who are married, young people, students are faced with massive debt loads to think about going to college. It's a huge pressure, a huge consideration. As one of the richest societies of all time, because of our money, we have, we have huge opportunities to spend on ourselves. As Donnie said last week, it's not even just financially, it's opportunities that we have because of our resource. Debt is easier than it ever has been before. U.S. households are now up to, in credit card debt, $1.07 trillion in credit card debt. Yeah. It's easy to get into debt. There's no guido to break our thumbs. <laughs> oh, you just make the minimum payment. That's all you got to do. Well, you want me to come break your thumbs? The average person, the average individual, so households is going to be bigger, the average individual has over $6,000 in credit card revolving debt. If you don't spend another dime, just made minimum payments, you would pay $4,000 in interest on that revolving credit. But it's likely that most people are overspending all the time, and therefore credit card companies say, take out another one. We're making so much money off of you. Yeah. Well, I think we need to be formed. We need to be formed. And it's obvious we have been formed. The question is, will Jesus form us? So Jesus talks a lot about money, and we'll pick up in Matthew and chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. We'll make some observations about this and then see how it relates to some of that diagram. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For, this is a key verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sounds a bit like our diagram, doesn't it? The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness... No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It's interesting. Hmm. Well, we won't study every verse, but I do want to make some observations about these verses and see how it might apply to our lives together as those who are seeking to follow after Jesus and have him be the Lord of our lives in fullness, including our money. Uh, first of all, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves 
treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. So we begin with a do not. <laughs> Let's consider what Jesus is asking us not to do. And uh, because he's going to replace it with some things to do. So Jesus, of course, would point out what we shouldn't pursue because what we are pursuing is ultimately killing us. Treasures on earth, he says. Don't store up treasures on earth. Stuff that exists as an end and to itself. Don't, don't pursue this. I probably don't have to tell you, but our world is consumed by stuff. Consumed by stuff. Here are some sobering stats around how much we consume and collect. This is a graph of the spending annually on the construction of self-storage over the last, what, 12 years or so. This last year to spend, just to construct more places. Almost $4 billion was spent in the U.S. building more places to store the stuff that we're no longer using. Isn't that just, I mean, it should just rock your world a little bit like, oh my gosh, it is not hard to get stuff and we have too much stuff because stuff will ultimately become the master of our lives. So of course Jesus would say this. He wants to be the master of our life. And so of course he would say, don't store up stuff because it's becoming your master and you can't serve two masters. All of us probably, now it's different, every person's situation is different, but if you live in the United States in 2018, you probably have too much stuff. Are we in danger of hoarding? Yes. Oh, man, just the psychological baggage that comes with hoarding. Yeah, I know people are elbowing each other all over the place, and that's okay. Like, I, this, this affects me, too. Yeah. This clutters our minds. Having so much stuff to manage, even if we manage it well, think of how much time and energy it takes just to manage the stuff that we can manage. That will definitely take us away from pursuing God's kingdom because we're having to manage our own. It's sophisticated. The level of financial sophistication in every single household in Western context is enormous. It's more sophisticated than kingdoms of the ancients were. Ours is very sophisticated. Could we get caught in that and thereby not be about the things of God because we're having to manage all it? Yes, absolutely. Jesus says, where the moth destroys... You ever thought about what moths get to? <laughs> they get to clothes that are unused. Moths don't get to the clothes that are on your back. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, these moths are destroying my clothes. No, moths get to, the, get to the stuff that's just sitting. Who in here has a shirt or a pair of pants or something that's been sitting in their closet for more than six months and you haven't used it? Come on, like, that's basically every person, yeah, including me. Yeah, years. Can you expand that? Yeah, we could do a whole fun thing. 10 years, 15 years, yeah. That's what moths destroy. He says, don't store up for yourself this. The potential for you and I to have too many clothes or to be consumed by clothes and outfits and outward appearances is very real. It's very real. Well, let's, let's just get real a little bit. Let's just get real. 
Could that be a distraction that the enemy can use to keep us away from pursuing the things of God? Absolutely. Is it one of the easiest to fall into? Absolutely. If those things are true, then what is Satan going to try to leverage in your life? Things. Stuff. Well, there's a lot more to say about the clutter of our world where rust destroys. All right, some of you men were like elbowing your wives or girlfriends right now. You're like, yeah, clothes. Shh. How about car project where rust destroys? I don't care. Hey, wait. Hey, wait. Hey, wait a second. Jesus can't say that. <laughs> That's the stuff of the world that will ultimately disintegrate. Well, ultimately, it isn't where value is. Now, does that say we can't have or doing it? No, it's not necessarily saying that. But I think the warning sign should be flashing like this to us. You live in a world where stuff will kill you. The trajectory of the world you're living in will kill you. You won't be about the things of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Some have said that Matthew's gospel here, as he records Jesus, is very stark and hard to swallow. And it's very good that we have Paul's gospel on the other side that talks about grace. But let's hear the words of Jesus. This is where we are at. We have a lot of grace in our culture. Okay, Jesus doesn't just tell us what not to do. He also tells us what to do. The Christian life is not just a bunch of no's. Instead, it is a bunch of yeses, just the right yeses. So, Jesus goes on, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is what you should do. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who has something stolen from them ever? This last week, we realized that several hundred dollars of our DVDs were stolen. Not quite sure how it happened. I was... <laughs> it sounds crazy, yeah. <laughs> this, this is Danya, we're married, and when we, when we lived in Cottage Grove before we moved here, there was one day where our kids came bursting through the door, I said, Dad, somebody just stole our football! So I ran outside, and sure enough, there's these guys walking away with our football in their hands, so I chased them down, and I was just like... That's our football. <laughs> like, the thief is destroying. And he said, he said, well, it's common law. It was on the grass in between the sidewalk and the road. Common law property, something like that. I was like, no, it is not. <laughs> Give me my football. <laughs> anyway. It stinks when thieves steal. So Jesus says, if you don't want that, store up treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. For, for those of us who live in a very material world, like everything is like we are, we are so consumed with what is happening in our world right now, the Christ follower needs to be reminded we live for eternity. We are living for more than just this. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven which you will live in for eternity. These are the things of faith, hope, and love, and service. 
Build those treasures. Let your life be about that. When people are at your funeral, they're not talking about your stuff. They're talking about how you invested in eternity with your stuff. You saw yourself as a steward of God's resources and you use those to bless the world and to bring about his kingdom, his kingdom which never, ever, ever, ever ends. This is why it is important for us to become fluent in the language of the kingdom, to become adept in the currency of the kingdom, faith, hope, and love, Paul talks about. That's the stuff of eternity. Hmm. It's not intuitive to us because we live in a very material world where our material possessions have great opportunity to distract us. Okay, notice in the following verses how Jesus gives some abstract argumentation about how we are directed and led. Similar to what we're talking about here. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So what we see is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, if you're seeing the right right vision for life, your whole body will be full of light. Your life will be full of the light that God intended. But if your eye is bad, or if you're seeing incorrectly, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Hmm. We are created to be light. Jesus calls us the light of the world. But if our eye is clouded because our vision has been formed incorrectly, then how great is the darkness? Because it's not just that you aren't a light, it's that you are participating with the darkness. (sighs) That's hard. But Jesus said it, not me. (laughs) And now Jesus fills the rest of the diagram for us. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. And I am going to attempt to illustrate this a little bit here. Okay. So, given our me-centered world, this is how this can work. Our communal practices, which are forming our heart. Me-centered, spending... You like my handwriting? No, you don't at all. That's why I hardly ever write. <laughs> that kind of spending, this communal practice, very, this here, it very much forms our heart. <laughs> very much forms our heart. This is what is happening. Which then as we have been talking about, very much shapes. Remember, remember how we're always going towards something. What is it we're going to? It's already been formed by this me-centered stuff. Our heart is going towards me. The aim and the intention of our life, what we are loving, is already going. This form, this misdirects. Or tell us, that word that we've been using is off. This here is the plan of the enemy for every single one of us. Because if he can 
distort what we're doing in our communal practices and what is affecting us, what is forming us, then very much he has our heart already. I don't know why that's purple. It got to become purple. All right. It forms our hearts, and then we're walking out because what happens here is that we have a misdirected vision of the world. This becomes about the kingdom of man. And the word that Jesus uses here is mammon, which is the God of money. This becomes what our whole heart is pointing towards. It's misdirected. It has missed what life is all about. So what we do in our communal practices, what is shaping our imagination for the world is so vital. Because this is, leads to brokenness. This doesn't just lead to like financial mismanagement. This leads to brokenness. Well, there is hope. No one can serve two masters. This is what it looks like. This is what we want, every one of us. We want the true kingdom. This is, whoops. <laughs> Are you smarter than a fifth grader? <laughs> Can you write better than a fifth grader? That's, uh, yeah. This is what we want. I know. That's why you're here. How does it happen? <coughs> it happens here. What we do together. <laughs> here we go. This habit of sacrificial oops, generosity. what we do in community. In community, we call this tithing. This is an embodied practice that we're regularly doing together that is very much shaping our heart. Some people say, I'll start giving when I feel like it. This teaches us that we will start feeling like it once we're doing it. That will shape our heart. This powerful thing that God created to move us with power into the world. Every person being so powerful. And once God has that heart, it is moving towards the correct kingdom. A correct telos. A correct vision of the world. A vision that sees that Christ, his cross, and his church are the hope of the world, the hope of every single person, the, the power that meets every felt human need for belonging, for growth, to be reconnected with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. To desire that starts with what we are doing in communal liturgical practice. If you want your heart to be shaped relative 
to sacrificial generosity, your money starts with tithing. Hmm. Well, if you don't want your finances to be shaped in a godly way, then don't give first to God. <laughs> if you do, give first to God. So when we say tithing, we are talking about the first 10% of our income that we give that over to the stewardship of the church. And I've never met somebody that said, oh, I so regret tithing. I've met so many people who have said, wow, once I gave that over, my heart changed. Yeah. And you'll hear more stories over time about that uh, reality. Hmm. Your heart is being shaped already, so we may as well sink into the confidence we can have with Jesus' mission at the center of our financial lives. See, some pastors are like, oh, people's money is just between them and God, and that is true. But also your money is directly correlated with what God is doing here. And what a wonderful thing to be a part of, what God is doing through one of the churches that he loves so much. Okay, so a couple of points of application. Number one, give your first 10% regularly and proportionately new hope. If you haven't been in this practice, it will hurt at first, but I promise you a year in, you will start to see what God can do as your heart is being shaped. There are three ways in service or these drop boxes that we have installed at both exits. Two, online, you can go to inewhope.org forward slash give, and you can give that way, and you can set up regular recurring giving, or you can certainly mail it in to the church office. Second question, second, questions for you to think about. And these questions are on your handout, so you can muse about them more later. The question, what can you begin saying no to so that your finances are more godly? <laughs> to say yes to something, we have to say no to something. That's just the way it is. A question, do you hoard? Is it out of fear? The whole thing of maybe I'll need it later. Maybe I'll need it later. Maybe <laughs> that results in a garage full of stuff. Do you spend out of impulsivity? be interesting for you to consider why it is that you're spending impulsively. There's a deeper heart issue. Here's a question. Do you count general generosity as tithing? Oh, I gave to something good, so that's tithing. No, that's not. Tithing is giving over to the stewardship of the local church, giving over control of what that exactly is going for, trusting with your finances. It's a very healthy habit to be in. And we can talk to you more about how that's a trustworthy investment here, about how we steward and oversee our finances. Come to our annual meeting in February to hear more specifics about that. But general generosity is not tithing. And ask yourself, what's the difference? And I've seeded some ideas of how that might be different for you. All right. Well, when we do this together, the kingdom wins. The kingdom wins. Because then the church is full of all these people that are dependent on God and not themselves. That's powerful. And the kingdom wins because as we look towards the future of new hope, we see a gap between our present resources and the vision that God has given us. 
but we will win as that gap is decreased by people of faith like you who are helping us to move into the next season of helping people find and follow Jesus. Everybody wins when we start with this practice of tithing. We win because then we're being spiritually formed and the vision of our lives becomes more and more about what God's vision is. It's more easy for us to see the consumeristic tendencies in our culture when we begin giving in this way. Everybody wins and I wanna be on the winning team. And so do you. And it could start today. That's the end. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your faithfulness over time, throughout all generations. And we thank you that while there are many bad examples of Christians and finances, pastors and finances, churches and finances, that we are not that story because we are living into you. We are trusting you. There are many stories in our culture of just massive financial mismanagement, but that doesn't have to be our story because you have given us a way to have our heart formed. I pray for every person here. However this message has hit them, pray that you give them grace and peace. And I pray that we would be the kind of people that are willing to read the words of Jesus and put them into practice. We don't want to be, Father, bobblehead Christians with a bunch of good thoughts in our brains. We want to be on the move with you. We don't want to be those that are known for going and for putting into practice these realities. We invite you to shape us and form us in every way. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, at the conclusion of our service, there'll be prayer teams up here. If there's a need that you would like prayer for, please participate with that. And just a reminder, you can drop those connection cards off at the drop box and also right behind them, immediately outside, are I am new stations. If you're new, we'd love to connect you through that way and get you more information about being involved here at New Hope. Love you very much. And uh, Devin, thanks for leading this morning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.